Good morning. This is our May the 30th, 2021, podcast number 34, focusing on uh, Catholic advocacy, advocacy for the laity, advocacy for human dignity. We're going to be covering the concept of John of the Cross human dignity in the context of what's going on with the rite of sodomy that we've spent 30 days developing the ecclesial corruption so this is our effort to fight ecclesial corruption church corruption uh, focusing uh, not necessarily defending the institution of the church. Others have that responsibility and are defending the, the institution of the church rather well. But on defending the dignity of the human person. That's our focus is on the human person. And we believe that the church is the defender of the human person against pure persecution and humiliation. The church is the defender of the human person against persecution and humiliation. And that's why the church is the true zone of freedom. And we advocate for that with our letters to the bishop, with using the judicial processes of the church, constantly advocating for that human dignity that's often suppressed, scarred, shaved by clergy and their staff. So that's our witness, and we're creating facts, historical facts, and these facts matter because they drive an agenda. And the clergy and staff have created their set of facts, and they drive an agenda, often a culture of death. Not saying all, but we have experienced that. This is our witness. Hopefully it's an isolated witness, but I... but. Others will decide that. So one of the ways that you can defend human dignity is to simply show in the Catholic Church you demonstrate the distinction. We'll take an oak tree, the stages of an oak. It starts out as an acorn. It sprouts, becomes an oak tree. That some oak trees are stunted does not mean the, uh, that the oak is a stunted tree. The oak is not a mighty tree. The oak is indeed a mighty tree. So that some are stunted does not mean the oak is not meant to be a, a mighty tree. So we're going to give you some mighty trees. These are clergy who are in, in love with God. And we're talking about John of the Cross, the living flame of love, ICS Publications, The Introduction to the Living Flame. We left off and we're with number five and we're going to try to do a shorty today. That means 15 minutes or so. We got some requests for people who, from people, supporters who would prefer occasionally some shorties interspersed with, I think the last one was an hour. Number five, the soul experiences this union habitually in its substance, whereas the actual actions are transient. 
In his commentary, St. John of the Cross figuratively describes the difference between the habitual and actual union. Thus, in this soul in which neither any appetite nor other images or forms nor any affections for created things dwell, the beloved dwells secretly with an embrace so much the closer, more intimate and interior, the pure, and more alone the soul is to everything other than God. Yet it is not secret to the soul itself that has attained this perfection, for within it it has experienced this intimate embrace. It does not, however, always experience these awakenings. But when the beloved produces them, it seems to the soul that he, that he is awakening in its heart, where before he remained as though asleep. He is usually there in his embrace with his bride as though asleep in the substance of the soul. And it is very well aware of him and ordinarily enjoys him, where we always awake within it, communicating knowledge and love. It would be already it would already be in glory, for if when he does awaken, scarcely opening his eyes, he has such an effect on the soul that would it be like were that what so what would it be like were he ordinarily in it fully awake? That's F fourteen F fourteen to fifteen. That's flame. And it stands for living flame fourteen to fifteen. In heaven, the union will be a most intense, continuous, and permanent act. Here on earth, the acts of intense, living union cannot be permanent. They come and go, and are more or less prolonged, deep in quality, and frequently according to God's will for the soul. Deep in quality and frequent according to God's will for the soul. The habitual union of love is the permanent union formed by the acts and consists of nothing else than the less intense form of union with the, which the soul lives in, in its ordinary state, after the actual union is passed. The mystical doctor speaks of it as the obscure habit of union, no doubt because it lacks the intensity and liveliness of the light and the flame proper to the actual transit unions, which are called illuminations. Lights, living flames, splendors of the lamps of fires, etc., in this respect, the saint states clearly the same difference that lies between a habit and an act lies between the transformation in love and the flame of love. It is like the difference between the wood that is on fire and the flame that leaps from it. For the flame is the effect of the fire that is present there. Hence, we can compare the soul in its ordinary condition in this state of transformation of love to the log of wood that is ever immersed in the fire, and the acts of this soul to the flame that blazes up from the fire of the love. F1, 3-4, C, 26-11. Since this union consists of a transformation in the operative order, it is important to understand rightly the sense in which John speaks of union and the substance of the soul. He uses the word substance in various ways, which demands that in seeking to determine the correct meaning in each instance, we note carefully the context. In this case of union in the substance of the soul, the substance is that capacity or faculty in one's psychological makeup for experiencing fruitian, delight, and joy, or sadness, 
anguish and desolation, etc. <clears throat> and since these experiences are possible in the sensory as well as the spiritual part of the soul, John speaks sometimes of the sensitive substance and sometimes of the spiritual substance. Just as the union in the intellect is faith, knowledge, and the union in the will is charity, love, so the union in the substance of the soul is fruitian, peace, and so on. It is intense in the actual transient unions and subdued, although sometimes profound in the habitual union. And there's citations there. <clears throat> so this is the commentary of the author before we're getting right into the living flame of love. Again, we're at uh, paragraph 5, page 571, 572 to 573. It's prolonged. This is a soul in love with God. Do you see that love in McCarrick? And Rembrandt Weakland, <clears throat> do you see them even attempting to dry up their appetites on creation? Do you see instead closed mouths? Our own bishop, closed mouth. Uh, they uh, often will work in a world called the subjunctive. The subjunctive is what, what, uh, and uh, what is or what should be or whatever. But they're not creating acts, facts. For example, we have innocence that has died in our parish, and we've written grievances on it, and we'll talk about it. It's significant. If innocence dies under the administration of a bishop or a parish priest, that's not a good thing. So that's that, and we'll get into how to test the spirit. John of the Cross, the Carmelites, we ride for the Carmelite order, are very big on that, testing the spirit. So, <clears throat> again, this is just basic. These men are often not in love with God. They're in love with self. They're in love with creation and pleasure. Their hearts are hardened. And we're now reading, we're teaching ourselves that some of the experts in the church, and if you, you, you experts in the sense that if you don't want expertise, expert advice from laity, these experts are clergy who say there are m Christian faithful who are mediocre, who are weak men. These Christian faithful become ordained, and because they're ordained, they're still weak and mediocre men. And uh, unfortunately, they're in control of the governance function of the church and, uh, and money. And we've hampered on that. Money is the mother's milk of church corruption. So keep that in mind. I go on. So we're looking at, this is a big oak. This is not an acorn. This John of the Cross, big oak. And we are attempting in our lives, I would express it as the natural law, big fish eat little fish. So we've had big clerical fish in our diocese eat little fish, which is the laity. And we oppose that. We oppose that. I continue. <clears throat> I'm still on five. It's a long paragraph. The poetry of the living flame is the utterance of a soul advanced within this very state of transformation. Now that word transformation... I don't hear uh, our bishop use it enough, and I don't hear our clergy and deacons, and particularly the staff, transformation, because that is, we'll unbundle that concept, but it is an enormous concept because you can challenge them. They say, transformation, guys, your life is not a witness of any transformation. Again, I don't see the transformation. You talk a good talk, but you don't walk the walk. Let's continue. The soul is so inwardly transformed in the fire of love and has received such quality from it that it is not merely united to this fire, 
but produces within it a living flame. As the fire grows hotter and continues to burn, the wood becomes more incandescent and inflamed, even to the point of flaring up and shooting out flames from itself. This flaring of the flame amounts to an actual union, very intense and deep in quality. The habitual state of the soul in this transformation resembles that of glowing embers. And when the union becomes actual, the embers not merely glow, but shoot forth a living flame. So ask yourself, have you seen these living flames in the church? I have. I have seen laity attempting to, to love, to do good things. Journalists attempting to do good things. And their living flame illuminates parts of the church only to have clergy put the flame out. Only to have clergy come in, not validate the flame, but invalidate it. And, and say horrible things. And I consider it's like the clergy come in and they kick the dog thinking oh my god you know oh my god how can, how can you do that and so remember what we're talking about love <clears throat> and and but consider that from thomas aquinas to uh the saints to our popes evil is a certain lack a limitation or a distortion of the good evil is a certain lack of something a limitation on or a distortion of the good and that's what i've seen with with people in our own local church and diocese, good people, struggling people who are experiencing <clears throat> acts of clergy and the staff who are limiting the good, distorting the good. That's evil. So let's continue. And it is through the union of love that the, that of of love that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come to dwell in man. Isn't it beautiful? To a union of love. As St. John of the Cross makes clear, they take up their abode in man by making him live the life of God. Thus we must not marvel at the sublime and strange gifts he grants to souls, since he promised that the persons of the Trinity would come and dwell in anyone who loves him. That's Flame Prologue 2. I don't see that in many of the clergy. I don't see that at all. And I hear that we have protocols, that the Vatican laws and commandments and, and uh, that the church has that have been disregarded by our bishops when they ordain weak men, men who are mediocre, and they go for numbers. They don't go for quality. And then we have uh, the, uh, our, our sister Randy Engel tell us that they're wolves, they're not shepherds. Let me continue. The infused, pure loving knowledge of the intense actual unions to which the stanzas of the living flame especially refer is the work of the Blessed Trinity. Isn't it powerful? The living flame is the work of the Blessed Trinity. In the absence of this work, you can equally say, there is no work on the Trinity. There's no work with McCarrick on the Trinity. There's no living flame there, or Rembert Weakland, or the bishops who, who are members of a closed mouth society that want only to maintain the status quo, that live in the subjunctive world of words, aspiration, oh, what if this could be, what if that could be, and then you present them with an opportunity, you present them with concrete acts, facts that you create, a new event, and they put the fire out, not good. 
The infused, pure loving knowledge of the intense actual unions to which the stanzas of the living flame especially refer to is the work of the Blessed Trinity, who inhibits the soul. Inhabit, who inhabits the soul. That's good. The Trinity inhabits the soul, animates acts, the creation of new facts, and they inhibit with nothing but inhibit. And you know, that's why it's about voices. Once you use your voice, you'll experience a different world. You use your voice. And when you find out that some of the priests are going along and their staff, uh, clergy, and they're just as nice as can be, and once you use your voice, they rear up on their hind legs and they just come down on you. It's shocking. And what's more shocking, the betrayal that you know you've supported that with your money. Let me go in. Who inhabits the soul by dividing divinely illuminating illuminating its intellect with the wisdom of the sun, delighting its will in the Holy Spirit, and absorbing it powerfully and mightily in the delightful embrace of the Father's sweetness. F one fifteen two one to twenty two. That's flame one. Page fifteen or paragraph fifteen and then flame chapter two, paragraphs one to twenty two. But the intenseness of the glow of the loving inflow depends upon the soul's preparation and that which God wills to give it. He burns each soul according to its preparation. He will burn one more, another less, and this he does insofar as he does, desires and how and when he desires. Flame 2, chapter 2, flame chapter 2, paragraph 2. In stanza 1, then, it seems to the soul that is is singularly close to the beatitude so vigorously is it transformed in god and sublimely possessed by him every time the delicate flame of love assails it the soul thinks that the veil of mortal life will be torn through thus it beseeches the holy spirit to tear through the veil and give the perfect glory he is seemingly about to bestow each time he encounters it in stanza two it extols the father the son and the holy spirit laying stress on the three favors and blessings they produce in it. These blessings repay it a hundredfold in this life for every suffering it has endured. So continue on. Continue to fall in love with God. You know, be holy. Blossom like the rose. Holiness is to your nature as natural as blossoming is to the rose. In stanza three, the holy, the soul exalts and thanks its spouse for a lofty and abundant loving knowledge of the divine attributes. These attributes are like lamps of fire, transmitting light and heat. Thus the soul, once obscure and blind, received illumination and the warmth of love. And since it can give this to the beloved, it has deep satisfaction and joy. Can you believe that? You give, can give something back to God. Reflect God to God. That's a voluntary act. God cannot command your love. And you look at these bishops and these clergy do not love God, do not reflect love got, got back to love. Do you think they're going to love you and your need? We're finding out that they don't. We live our entire life in service to them. And then when you want something as simple as the last rites, the anointings, or to come to a child who is in, in mental illness and addiction and homeless and hungry, they'll stay far away. They don't want to get sick. Just like Molokai, just like uh, the guy the, with the leprosy colony in Hawaii comes the saint they they wouldn't even even fellow priests wouldn't come by him they were fearful just well you don't know that until you get a crisis and you realize oh my god who have i been living with who is this i don't know this person 
In stanza three, the soul exalts and thanks its spouse for a lofty and abundant love, loving knowledge of the divine attributes. These attributes are like lamps of fire transmitting light and heat. Thus the soul, once obscure and blind, receives illumination and the warmth of love, and since it can give this to the beloved, it has deep satisfaction and joy. For it sees clearly that, it, it, that in offering him this very divine light and divine warmth, it gives him more than it has in its worth. Something of its own which is suited to him according to his infinite being. That's right, you reflect God to God. In stanza four, this is continuing, we got quite a bit here. In stanza four, the soul which with deep love esteems and thanks the bridegroom for two admirable effects sometimes produced by him and the awakening within it in gentleness and love and a sweet breathing within it filled with good and glory and the delicate love of God. Let me just pause there. When God awakens in you and you begin to see with the vision of God, you see more clearly, it, it, it can be a cross. It can be a cross. You begin to see the betrayal. You begin to see the depth of infection in the soul of the bishop or the clergy and their staff. And you say, it, it's not a pretty sight. And it is, then you begin to see the face of, you meet Christ, the unpopular face of Christ, the face of Christ who is a disciplinarian, an errant clergy, the face of Christ who demands from the clergy. It's a very unpopular face of Christ that the clergy haven't showed me. The only clergy that show me that are the dead ones who, in their writings, that give us this stuff. Uh, the saints, you have to uncover it. Then in stanza for the soul with deep love esteems and thanks to bridegroom for two admirable effects sometimes produced by him an awakening within it in gentleness and love and a sweet breathing within it filled with good and glory and delicate love of God. The poem itself comprises only four stanzas in contrast to the 40 stanzas of the spiritual canticle and the eight stanzas of the dark night. It numbers six lines. However, in each stanza rather than five, another characteristic of his poem is that according to the saint's own affirmation in the prologue it was written for a particular person for Donna Ana del Marcato y Penalosa a widow living in Granada Saint John of the Cross knew Donna Ana at least from January 20th 1582 when he arrived in Granada with Mother Ana de Jesus Mother Ana de Jesus and other Carmelite nuns to establish a convent in the of the reform in that city. It was Donna Anna who cheerfully received them into her home when the owner of the house that was promised to them for their convent refused at the last minute to allow them to have it. Very probably, however, the poem was indicated, as indicated in some of the transcripts, was not written until 1584. So here you have a little synopsis of their life. They are a reform. Live your life as a reform. Live your life in resistance to the lie uh, that predominates within the church. Live your life in resistance to the darkness within the church. Illuminate it with your love, with your life, with the light. So we're going to conclude there, page 574, and I'm going to pick up again a little bit uh, on a follow-up. This is, I believe this is uh, going to be podcast 34, my uh, computer you don't need to know all this, but my computer broke, so I'm a little bit behind. 
So uh, I, we will pray. We're at 23 minutes. I promised one of our supporters to keep this to 15, and I've already went beyond that. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you. We ask you for your continued guidance. Help us resist the clergy and the church that have uh, rebelled. And just like the angels, I we're allowed, what, what awesome grace, we're allowed to experience what the Archangel Michael must have experienced in the rebellion of the bad angels. And that here we have bad priests. We have the good priests. And let us make a distinction between the good priests and support them and the bad priests who we don't want to support, particularly with our money. And we ask for a conversion. There's no opportunity for the for the uh, the bad angels. They've been cast out from heaven. They no longer have the capacity to be happy. Uh, even the clergy, the bad clergy, have that capacity to repent and come back, and and restore, and work and do their penance, and sort of be in the galley of the bark of Peter as a galley slave, rowing in the right direction, doing tasks that need to be done particularly whistleblowing. You know, if you're a bad clergy, we reach out and we ask you to consider all the evil that you've done and think of how many souls that you can save by just uh, just a small whistleblow. Just turn in one other bad priest so that we can stop his ministry of darkness. We can stop him from shaving the truth. We can stop him from doing evil. Remember that evil is a deprivation or malformation of the good? Help us. Come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. And uh, continue all the good and the happiness that you can experience by coming back to the Catholic Church. Now, you may be in a position of the Catholic Church. You may be sleeping in the Catholic Church every night, de facto like that. But your heart is not there. You're far, far away. We know that. You know that. Come back. Build good. Illuminate. Write that book. Write that ethical will. We'll show you how to do all of that. We'll show you how that. And know that. Uh, be, brace yourself. Because they will turn on you. You know that. You've turned on others. So we'll show you safe harbors. And and like, we have our own Donna Anna. Donna Anna's in the church. Who will take you in. To protect you. So we have priests. That, we, that you can con contact. That can support you. If you don't want to talk to a woman, we have men that you can talk to. If you're in religious orders particularly and, uh, and you need something as basic as a roof over your head, food, because you've, you've left that community and you're out there wandering, the laity are understanding that now. We know that there are people out there that uh, are awakening and they have nowhere to go because they're so deep in that culture of darkness. We're going to help you. We're laity. We're becoming aware of the depth of darkness, the depth of uh, the, shall I say, the empire of injustice and the dominion of the light that's within the church. And uh, we're going to work on getting that, uh, opposing that and challenging that. Amen.